Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Welcome back to the 3D Parent Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about play and the power and importance of play for all human beings, but in particular, children. What is play? What am I talking about here? We talk about play, my kid is going to play, but are we really talking about true play? So play, just defining what I'm talking about here, play is obviously not work. But keep in mind that some things that we call play actually are work. For example, work is something that has kind of requires an effort. You're following directions, something like putting together a Lego set. I'm not saying that's not valuable and a cool thing and a fun thing to do, but there's work involved. It's not um, just a kid playing with a bunch of Legos and creating something. That would be play. Work would be actually following directions and building a specific Lego set. So it's not work. It doesn't involve work. Also, something that would fit into that kind of category would be something like a board game where there's rules that you follow. There's constructs. You have to kind of do work to play a game. Again, great activity, totally valuable, but not meeting the definition of play in the way that I'm referring to it right now. Play also doesn't have an agenda or a goal. So example, if if you're trying to achieve a certain goal, that's not true play. That is more aligned with the idea of work. Um, if you're doing a video game, for example, there's work involved. You're following somebody's idea. You're following a algorithm. That's also not true play. So Again, we're talking about open-ended activities. Play is open-ended. There's not rules. There's not constructs. There's not an agenda. There's not a goal in mind. And play is also consequence-free. So that means that basically anything is possible. When you're playing and you're playing, I'm a bad guy and I'm going to rob a bank in this game that you're playing, there's no consequences. Everybody understands this is play. You can take on different characters. You could um, try out different things um, that are consequence-free. You're not actually robbing. You're pretending. That's play. That's open-ended. And that means that it's, um, it's free. It's not, again, with consequences. It's okay to take on the role of the villain when it is in the context of play. So why is it important? Why am I spending and dedicating an episode to the topic of play? Well, play is important on so many levels. First and foremost, on the emotional level, I have a saying that play is where emotions find a playground. 
play is where kids get a chance to work through feelings and emotions that need to be expressed. And they can be expressed through play because, again, play is consequence-free. So oftentimes, when kids are working through different feelings and emotions and stresses, when they have this kind of open-ended play, some of that emotion, some of those feelings that may have gone kind of under the radar or kind of been stuffed down can kind of come out through play. So it's a healthy place to work through feelings. Another importance of play is that's where passions can emerge. When a child starts kind of playing around with the open-ended materials, they suddenly discover that they love building things or drawing things or painting things. Again, we're talking about not, I'm going to try and set off right now and I have a goal of painting a really good dog. That would be work. Again, It's not that that's not a great activity, but play would be more, I'm going to take these materials and I'm just going to kind of play around and and paint whatever doodle comes to life and that's fine because it's not about the goal and the objective. It's just about kind of play and having an opportunity to kind of work within um, this open-ended field. So passions can emerge through play, kind of taking some instruments, not to practice and rehearse because a teacher told you to, or to learn a piece of music, that's work. So play with musical instruments would be when you just kind of sit down at a piano and you just kind of doodle around and you kind of play with the keys and create some type of a melody or, you know, discordant (laughs) non-melody, picking up instruments and just kind of making sounds and noises, taking, like I said, open-ended materials that have like artistic materials or just kind of found collected recyclables and creating things with that. That's all play that's important because again, passions can emerge through play. Another really important thing that comes to light through play is critical thinking, creativity, emergent energy. So emergent energy is energy that comes from within where a child is driven to create or to build or to take some materials and turn them into something that comes from within. And because of that, play is also essential to brain development and to a child being able to kind of create for themselves who they truly are. Ability for them to come into their own and kind of learn to stand on their own two feet, which sets them up to be able to stand the ground and be true to themselves versus given to maybe peer pressure or what the group mentality is doing. So all those things are the reasons behind why play is so important. Kids who have the opportunity to do this open-ended play as children grow up into really confident older children, teens, tweens, and adults, because I've had this kind of ability to work through emotions, discover passions, work on critical thinking skills and creativity, and develop their own self sense of self which sets them up in life for everything, really, everything positive and good, whether it be in work, in relationships, in creative endeavors. If they have a lot of opportunity to explore this realm as children and beyond, it really can have tremendous and profound impact on their well-being for their entire life. So I've already kind of given some examples of what play looks like, but play, like I said, exists at every age and stage of life, including 
us adults. So in the very young, it's more obvious when kids are truly playing. It oftentimes takes the form of dramatic play in young children who take on different characters, different creatures. They can become an animal. They can kind of explore what it would be like to crawl on the ground and slither around like a snake. They can be their favorite characters from books or movies they may have been exposed to. They can come up with whole new personas that they create themselves, even better than making something they may have been exposed to. So dramatic play, like I said, it is, it's very kind of obvious when kids are there and they can stay in that mode for long periods of time. Another place you'll see play in young children is any form of creation with open-ended materials. So I mentioned Legos earlier and how if you're following directions on building a particular Lego set, that that doesn't necessarily meet the definition of play. However, if you gave a kid a box full of Legos without any directions and they started creating things with it, absolutely that would be considered play. Same thing with blocks, same thing with any type of building materials where they're just kind of creating their own ideas. It's coming from within them. Same thing with any forms of art materials, popsicle sticks, pens, markers. My very favorite to put in front of younger kids are any type of sensory play items, things like Play-Doh, clay, sand, kinetic sand. I know it's a blessing and a curse. It makes a tremendous mess. But at the same time, you put something like that in front of a child, particularly children who are very sensory seeking, who love getting their hands kind of wet and sticky and dirty and sandy and playing with materials and creating things. It's not about building or creating something when you're playing with kinetic sand. It is about kind of playing with things and making things, but they're all very temporary and then they kind of go away. So what's important there is kind of the action, the creation, the digging in and getting your hands dirty. Also another kind of like feared object and household, including mine, slime. The obsession with making slime and playing with slime. The creation of the slime, not play. That would be work. That is, you're creating something. There's a goal in mind. Once a slime has been created and you're playing with it, then it becomes play. Kids can kind of just get their hands in it. They can, you know, make things, stretch it, kind of explore it. That's all kind of fits again in that definition of play. Same thing with oobleck, the stuff you make with water and cornstarch. Also great sensory materials. You can just dig your hands in. Another one of my favorite open-ended play materials is whenever I've had a delivery and I have a cardboard box, I know this is a familiar site in many homes. They're not as interested once inside the box as they are in the actual box. Giving your kid an empty box or a shoe box can create all kinds of things for kids. They can make whatever they want. It can be a rocket. My um, seven-year-old, she made a Tesla. <laughs> she thought Teslas were the coolest thing she'd ever seen. We have some Teslas in our neighborhood and even some parents at my kid's school drive a Tesla and they think it is the coolest thing they've ever seen. And so my daughter got a large cardboard box one and she's like, I'm making a Tesla. And she played in this thing. She created it. She kind of added new elements to it. Yes, she had a goal in mind, but it was very emergent. It came, the idea came from within. There wasn't a set of instructions to follow to create her version of a Tesla car. It was all coming from her own imagination. And she would find things and she'd add to it. And she played with this creation over the course of weeks to the point where she couldn't let it go, but it was taking up a large portion of our living room. And so I'd set it outside on the deck and then it got rained on and kind of got destroyed and that was kind of devastating for her. But that was more just lack of planning on our case because we didn't have a spot to put it. We could have probably done a better job of 
preserving it. But we kind of thought out of sight, out of mind, maybe she'll move on to something else. But right now we're just waiting for the next right size box so she can make her 2.0 version of a Tesla. So that's something we've promised. Next time there's another big box, we can set it aside and we can we can do another version. You can create another um, creation, another Tesla, whatever it might be. So that kind of encompasses a younger child and what play looks like. For an older child, a teen, a tween, and also an adult, play looks a little bit different. It's not so much, you know, the dramatic play, although some older kids are still into that. I know some of my kids in my own household did dramatic play way beyond the years that some of their peers did. And they continued to connect with other children who still were into this dramatic play world up until they got a little older. But basically, teens, tweens, and adults, play looks like expression through art, music, dance, and even sometimes through technology, not taking in technology passively, but using technology as a tool to create something. My firstborn daughter, when she was still really into dramatic play, but was getting a little older, where most of her peers were not as interested in dramatic play, it took the form of, we're going to make a movie. We're going to create a story and make a movie and, and film it you know, borrowing my phone or some type of a digital camera that allowed videos. So she could kind of create something and still do dramatic play, but it was in the context of we're making a movie. So so somehow it had kind of merged from just we're doing dramatic play for play's purpose to we're still doing dramatic play, but we're going to create a movie. So there was a little bit of agenda, a little bit of work creeping in, but still the main focus was on play and creation and emergent energy. So other things having to do with the arts. So anytime that kids are just kind of creating freely, doodling, drawing, not because it's an assignment, not because they're starting to create, they have to create something specific, but more just exploration. Anything, same thing with instruments. If their kids just start kind of playing around with instruments, exploring, making sounds with different instruments, same thing with adults. It's not, I need to learn to play this certain song, but more kind of like, I'm going to play around my guitar. I'm going to pick up a ukulele, learn a few play a few chords and then just kind of create things from that. Same thing with dance, kind of just putting on music and just freely moving just for movement and dance and expression sake. Photography. Photography is another wonderful playground for teens, tweens, and adults and some older children where, again, it's not I've got a goal, but more kind of I'm just going to kind of work with this in this medium and see what I can create, see what I could capture, see how I could get a different look at something and kind of explore this medium. Journaling creative writing, kind of just streams of consciousness, going ahead and write those down. It doesn't look like play, again, like that dramatic play version we've talked about or using artistic materials, but kind of just this free-flowing creative writing, writing of poetry, journaling, expressing of oneself, all kind of fits within that kind of blurred line of play. This might sound like a funny one, but daydreaming kind of staring off into space into this void when you don't have something to do and letting your imagination kind of just flow is a form of kind of brain play. Any type of experimentation with anything from blocks of wood and nails and just creating something, experimenting with ingredients, cooking without following necessarily recipe, but just kind of, I'm just going to play with these ingredients and see what I make. Roughhousing for all children of all ages, including teens, tweens, and adults, any type of a roughhousing where it's clear that it's just play, but we're going to kind of jump around. We're going to throw water balloons at each other or snowball fights, that kind of roughhousing play also fits in within the same context, the same definition that we're talking about right now. I want to interject here real quick as we're talking about what does play look like? When parents are exploring 
schools and they're considering schools, particularly those first schools for their young children. If they're going to be looking at daycares or preschools or those early learning years, you really, really want to keep a pulse on play and how much that learning environment, that school environment values true play. So I've already talked about what play is and what play is not. If play, when you're visiting a preschool and if play seems to be following a teacher's agenda, oh yeah, we have play time and that's where you do these sets of things. If you're like, "Mm, that looks like work, again, doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. You just want to make sure that there is enough open-ended free play time. That is not a bonus or an okay thing. It is essential for kids. And if you're looking at a school and considering a school that is really focused on academics and seated work and academic readiness and focusing a lot in the early years on academic school readiness, take pause, take a step back and make sure that there is an equal or more opportunity for play in those school environments because that is so essential to children, particularly in the early years. It's essential for all human beings at any age, as I've mentioned. But for the youngest children, those kids who are under age of six, it is beyond essential. It can even inform decisions you make around when your child is going to be ready to start at a school that is more academic. I know for my family and my household, for one of my children, I knew they needed more time for that open-ended dramatic play. And it caused us to look down the road and decide that we needed to wait a year before she started kindergarten, which in our school has more academics. And I knew she needed to have more time to kind of develop who she was and to have this, as I said, emotional playground of play at her disposal to continue to grow and develop and mature where she was developmentally. So that is so key. She was ready at age five for the academics of kindergarten, she was already doing some reading and math and writing like you would want to see even ahead of what you'd expect to see for kindergartner. But her emotional self needed another year to grow and develop. And it was the best decision we made for that child. I'm not saying that that should be the rule of thumb for all children. But if you look at your child and you think that they are developmentally young, they need more play. They need more unstructured time so that they can grow and develop who they truly are, what their passions are, and again, hold on to themselves. If they're in social environments very young, they may not be as good at being able to kind of have a strong sense of who they are independent of their peers. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. So again, when looking at preschools, when looking at early learning schools, really look at play. A lot of preschools will call themselves play-based, but investigate Further. Do not just take that term, which is thrown around a lot in preschools. And I've toured many preschools with all four of my children. And I've been to schools that call themselves play-based. And when I, I look a little further, it kind of came down to about 45 minutes out of a four-hour day that was more open-ended. And it was at the very beginning of the day where kids were kind of just arriving and kind of just taking off their backpacks and their coats and washing their hands and going through the routines of the day. And then they had approximately 45 minutes after they'd finished all that. So actually, after they'd put away all their belongings, washed their hands, used the potty, it was more like a half an hour to do true free play where they could kind of just explore the school environment and play with open-ended materials. However, 
many of the materials in some of these classrooms were not truly open-ended. There was just one way in which you could play with certain materials. The preschool I I chose for my two youngest children, kind of post my parent coach training, post my training in developmental psychology and attachment theory and kids' needs in the early years, I chose the school that was the most unstructured as possible. And where if you looked around the classroom, you would first say, wow, it's really small. But second of all, you wouldn't see a lot of things that you would say, oh, those are obvious toys. There was tons of open-ended materials. There were things like, you know, acorns and gourds and fabric, not costumes, but fabric that could become costumes if a child chose. There were uh, big boxes of Legos and blocks and other kind of manipulative materials that could be open-ended. And they became all kinds of things. There, there was a group of kids that were really interested in cooking. And they kind of, with the teacher's help, they built a makeshift oven with some sticks and blocks and some red fabric and some little flashlight lights. And that became the oven. And they would pretend to create pies and cakes and things. And they'd bake it in their pretend oven. They'd, they had this whole world that they created all out of this interest around cooking and baking. And with materials that did not look like store-bought kids' oven or kitchen or play food, it all came to light from kids kind of creating things with open-ended materials. It was so interesting. And at my first glance, I'd look around this classroom and be like, gosh, how is my child going to stay occupied in this environment for, you know, a year, let alone a few years with a lot of like things that don't even look like toys in place in play. And it was incredible to kind of watch this environment and how my kids continue to kind of emerge and interact with the peers and the play. And almost all the time at the school was unstructured. They had a few times they'd come together, they'd clean up the classroom together, they'd sit down together and talk, they'd have snack time, they would do some outdoor play time. But the vast majority, vast, vast majority was true open-ended, no work, no agenda, consequence-free, emergent play time. And I think that was of such high value. Some parents really seek out the more academic-focused schools for fear that kids will not be ready for it. I'll let you know that my first child, my, my third-born that went to this preschool, is my one who entered school the most academically primed of any of my children, where she was because she was able to kind of follow her own emergent interest. She just naturally developed an interest in learning to read and letters and numbers and making sense of that. And that all kind of came out of her interest and her drive and that this emergent energy I keep referring to that drove her interest to learn those things, not because it was being kind of presented to her and taught to her because it was somebody else's agenda. Okay, so I hopefully have convinced you up to this point how important play is and explained enough about what play looks like. Now, how do you preserve play in your household. You have to. This has to be of paramount importance. And most children do not have nearly enough play in their lives. Kids have such full schedules and parents, for not knowing the difference, haven't necessarily made it such a priority. But I'm going to encourage you and hopefully through what I've shared with you, I've convinced you the importance of play so that you can make it a priority in your household. So how do you preserve play in your home? First and foremost, you need to make sure that your child doesn't have any underlying attachment or connection needs that need addressing. 
So what I mean by this is, let's say your child goes to preschool in the mornings, or let's say that your child is away from you at daycare or with a nanny or babysitter, and then you get back together with your child, their number one most pressing need after you've reconnected with a child first thing in the morning, after a nap, after a period of separation like school or daycare or work, the first thing that they need is connection from you. You can't have an expectation that you're going to pick your child up from preschool, pick your child up from daycare, take your child up from a nap, set them down in the playroom, and they're going to just immediately be able to start having this emergent play. Some kids might, most don't. Most kids need, first and foremost, their attachment needs met. I went to great length about developing this attachment, this connection in episode three of my podcast, developing a deep connection with your child. So for more on that, if you're like, what is she talking about? What is she talking about? You know, addressing connection needs. I encourage you to listen to that episode so that you can get more of a deeper understanding of how you can really reconnect and connect with a child. If a child is has their attachment needs met, they're going to be able, they're going to be primed for play. If they need you, I sometimes will work with parent coach clients in my practice and I'll hear my kid cannot play independently. I always have to play with my child. It's just impossible for my child to play independently. That to me speaks of a child who needs more attachment needs addressed. And even if a child is with a parent a lot of the day, it may not be the kind of time spent together that really is addressing those connections, those attachment needs. So just because you may have been in the same space and we've been running errands all day, you know, we've she's been by my side, I've been getting her snacks all day long, it may not be addressing your child's underlying attachment needs. So first and foremost, make sure that you are meeting those needs first. Second thing do not overschedule your children. You cannot have every hour of every day scheduled with activities, with school, with daycare, with after-school activities, soccer practice, ballet practice, piano lessons, play dates, everything is scheduled, scheduled, scheduled. You need to actually schedule time in your schedule, time in your, your family's calendar, your daily life that is actually preserved for open-ended play. So if you look at your schedule and you think, gosh, yeah, there's not really much time for my kids to play, you need to make that priority. You may need to take a look at your child's activities and take some things away that can be taken away in place of this play, this emergent play, which is so important and essential to kids. Another thing that can get in the way of kids and their ability to play is screen time. Screen time is not play. Screen time is kind of passive taking in of somebody else's ideas. TV, iPads, games, video games. Don't fool yourself and think just because it's an educational game, it's therefore play. I'm not saying that, you know, oh, all screen time is bad, but you need to be realistic and recognize that it could be getting in the way of your child's ability to play. So really take a long, hard look at your family's screen time usage. And if that might be taking the place of time that would be better spent with your child having the time and the space to play. I know it is so, so tempting if your child really wants some attention and wants to play with you and you just don't have it in you or the energy or the resources to put them in front of a screen. I've been guilty of that myself countless times, but I've also been able to kind of check myself and say, you know what? It's no longer the summer. Seattle gets rainy and it's gross outside. We don't spend enough time playing outside oftentimes because of the weather and the change of the weather. This fall, perfect example, September hit and it was like a 
instantaneously switch and the rain came and my kids were inside a lot more. And then suddenly they were doing more screen time and they were, you know, not spending their time doing enough play, true play. And so I had to really take a look at that and put together again, a revamped kind of schedule for my kids in terms of when they were permitted to have screen time and for how long and when screen time was no longer an option for kids. So yeah, really take a look at your screen time for your kids and know that's not play and that it needs to be used with discretion. If you feel like screen time is a big time problem for your families, and I promise to address this in a future episode, screen time is a topic in and of itself. But you might consider taking a complete screen break during the week or maybe during the weekend, during a vacation. One year, my kids, it was for a different reason, but my two older kids were fighting a lot. And I just thought, you know what? They just need more practice playing together. And I just had a screen-free summer. We got rid of screens. We made a couple exceptions where we had a family movie night, a long road trip where I let them use a device in the car. But for the most part, it was a screen-free summer. And what I saw blew my mind in terms of my kids working through, pushing through the discomfort of, oh gosh, screens are not an option for me. I've got to have to figure out something to do for myself. A few kind of dramatic cries of boredom and entertain me before they were able to kind of get good and practice and build up that muscle of being able to fill their time without a screen. For me and my family, like I said, this fall, we kind of did a backslide, used too many screens. So I couldn't just say no screens figure out for yourself. I could say that. And I have said things like that in the past. But in this case, I thought, okay, I need to go ahead and create something to kind of take the place of this thing that I'm pulling away, which leads me to my next suggestion, which is make sure you're providing enough open-ended play materials. So in my household this fall, I revamped kind of a craft station. I grabbed all the crafting and art supplies that were kind of scattered in different boxes and I pulled them all out. I reorganized them. I set them out. My kids are old enough that I can keep them out without fearing of my kids drawing and painting all over the house. Most of the time, my youngest sometimes can go a little crazy with the art materials, but most of the time they can be trusted to pull them down and use them appropriately and put them away. But I kind of reset up a craft activity, craft activity area for my kids. I got different materials. I saved insides of paper towel rolls. I got lots of pom-poms, popsicle sticks, cardboard, different types of papers, different types of art materials, pens, colored pencils, paint. Most of the stuff was stuff I already had. I did refresh some of my supplies where things had kind of gotten used and I went through and went through all my pens and sorted out the markers that were no longer good and, and so forth. So I revamped this whole art material. And so at the same time I was presenting much less screen time, here's the only time screens can be used. I was also presenting them with an alternative and they just jumped right into emergent play with all these craft and activities. So I definitely encourage you to take a look at your open-ended play materials. Do you have enough blocks? Do you have enough Legos? A lot of neighborhoods have buy nothing groups, you don't have to spend money. People may be willing to kind of unload some of the materials their kids aren't playing with for free or go to thrift shops or go to garage sales and see how you can kind of gravitate towards more of the open-ended materials versus things that have just one way with which to play with them. Another thing, I've already mentioned cries of boredom. (laughs) Welcome boredom. When your kids say, I'm bored, it usually just means that they're struggling with an uncomfortable feeling, which is this feeling of, I don't have anything to do. I don't know what to do with myself. I can't do some of my favorite pastimes like screens. I, they, they, they go through this process of crying out for 
for your help. And if any of you have fallen into the trap of then making a suggestion for what to do with their boredom to be met with, no, no, I don't want to do that. No, you've fallen into the trap of entertaining your child through making suggestions. So I do not encourage you to do that. It's okay to maybe at one time brainstorm a list of activities and things your kids could do to present to them that, oh, if you get bored, why don't you go to that list and take a look at it? But that'd be a one-time thing, not something you're going to go through every time. You've fallen into the trap of finding the solution for boredom for your child. Instead, I encourage you when you get a child saying, I'm bored, to say something like, gosh, you know, I can't wait to see what you come up with. I'm sure you'll come up with something fun pretty soon. I can't wait to see what that is. Come up with something to basically say, gosh, I know you're struggling with being bored, but you'll figure out something soon. Again, you're not trying to offer a solution. Now, sometimes cries of boredom can be cries for connection. So it might be that they need a little time to connect with you before they kind of will go ahead and kind of find a solution for themselves. But a lot of times it's just them struggling with an uncomfortable feeling of boredom. Another thing to do is to train yourself to create, to embrace creative messes. So again, open-ended materials, I've mentioned kinetic sand and Play-Doh and slime, art materials at eye level and reachable for kids that oftentimes equates to a mess. Like I said, I had a giant cardboard Tesla in my living room for weeks. I had to be okay with this because the alternative was my kid not doing something that was really essential for their development, which was play. So you need to kind of be okay. If you're super type A, controlling, need a perfectly neat home, you need to kind of work on this. You need to embrace messes. You might just need to say, I'm going to embrace a mess in these areas of the home. I'm going to know that this is evidence of play, of emergent play. I now know how important that is for my child. So I'm going to be okay with the mess and not get all worked up about it. I really encourage you. It's worth it to kind of struggle through your own internal struggle of embracing a mess if it means your child is getting to experience the thing that is so incredibly essential for their development. And then also I encourage you, parents, to take a look at yourselves and where are you playing in your own life? Where are you expressing yourself creatively? Where are you kind of making time to kind of follow your own interests and pursuits that are open-ended, where there's no goal in mind, there's no agenda? And if you're not doing any of that, I encourage you to take a look at that so that you yourselves can be kind of joining your children in what is so essential for our mental health and well-being and kind of true fulfillment in life. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to the 3D Parent Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the3dparent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.